Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Football Theory. I am your co-host, uh, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, joined by my other co-host. He is a Lifetime Longhorn as well. He's a football theorist over at Inside Texas. You can catch his amazing work. Also, uh, America's War Game over on Substack. Go check it out. It's fantastic. It's my man, Ian Boyd. What's going on, Ian? How you doing, brother? Going good. Only got four of these, maybe? Ah, uh, I like how you. I like how you caught yourself. You're like, you know what? No, no, no. Let me be optimistic and add them all up. <laughs> I like that. And you did gave them four. You like that? I like that. It's pretty I think good. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. If they, listen, the way they're playing right now, and this is kind of gets into the conversation about Texas. The college football playoff committee still has Texas locked in at seven right now, right? And yeah. They're going to need a lot. They're going to need style points. They're going to need some style points. Style points would help Texas out unless there's chaos, absolute chaos in front of them, which could happen. I mean, we've seen that before in college football. It has to happen. They they all play each other. Yeah, that's true. You get Ohio State versus Michigan. You're going to have that. You'll get Washington versus Oregon. You'll have that. Uh, Florida State, mm, they could, you know, kind of skate by without it. But it's in the ACC title game. They'll be tested there. Uh, was it Louisville? I believe they're going to play in the ACC title game right now, the way it's looking. Uh, so it's, uh, I don't know, for Texas, they need some help. They need a lot of help. And they, they could use some style points. And they're not getting many style points right now because they can't close out opponents. And it happened again. They got the win. And they got they got the win because, in because of a clutch play, man. It might have been one of the, I mean, it might be one of the most iconic clutch plays in the history of Texas football, the catch by A.D. Mitchell. And honestly, this game is probably full of them, right? There are probably three clutch plays that essentially won Texas the game. The A.D. Mitchell reception on third and 12 or whatever it is to clinch the game. Um, and the Jay Witt slash Xavier Worthy forced fumble, fumble recovery off the Quinn Ewers interception early on in the game. That was just, I mean, it was spectacular in so many ways. Just a great play. The, the epitome of Jay Witt. Just the, honestly, it might be the epitome of this damn team. That they just, they fight like hell, maniacal effort, and a little bit of luck. Well, sometimes a lot of luck. Especially <laughs> yeah. in the first half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but now, give me your, your thoughts about Texas with another win where they hold on. They make clutch plays. But definitely some flaws once again shown from Texas in the second half versus TCU. Well, I feel like we've been watching this for seven years. Because this used to drive me crazy in the Tom Herman era, too. Is that they would build leads and then they would get conservative and punt and they would bleed leads away. And it would always come down to be like a, a squeaker in the end, right? And then Sark has really took that to a new level, I think. <laughs> and had all those games in 2021 where they had like huge leads and then they lost. Um, Brutal. Last year had like four games like that and they were like two and two in those mm. games. Um, and then this year it's happened uh, three times, three right? Times. Yeah. Houston, in a yeah. sense. And then, the uh, and then 27-7 and 26-6, they'll be up 25-5 at Iowa State at some point. <laughs> in the but um, 
You know, something that we talked a lot about before the season that we haven't talked about during the season is the new clock rules. Yeah. I think that's been helping them. Um, being able to get into 12 personnel and run the ball decently has helped them. I think my my guy Parker Fleming at Stats of War does these charts. You see, you yeah, see those charts. Awesome. Do we really get beat that yeah. bad? He's awesome. And he measures the success rate of every play in the game. And so it doesn't measure for like explosiveness. It doesn't measure for big plays. It just measures for on a down to down basis. How often did you do a good job versus how often did your opponent in the last two weeks, it's been like Texas and then Kansas state like this, the the opponent. Yeah. And you're like, (laughs) that's kind of weird because Texas was in control most of the game, but both weeks it's been like, they build this huge lead and then they just sit on it. And they and they take shots, and they slowly give it away, and then they have to make big plays at the end of the game to hold on. Um, I don't know. It's working. It's uh, you're walking a fine line though between yeah. destiny and disaster, right? And yeah. I, and I listen. I'm I'm gonna give them props. You nine and one. They are like I said. They are this this team is clutch. Now, are they flawed? Yes, but they are clutch, man, because we've seen them. We've seen game-winning goal line stands, A.D. Mitchell making clutch plays, Alabama in late games. In clutch moments, this team can be trusted to play really high-level football, but they are trending toward getting another loss because basically this team, they are, right, it's the best of times and the worst of times all in the same game for Texas. So yeah. they'll have these spectacular stretches of football where they play brilliant complementary football, and that's when they get up on teams. They 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 blow them out. I mean, it looked like they're about to blow them out anyway. They get up twenty points, three scores. But also, you can unfortunately you can also trust this team is going to have a similar stretch, but it's going to be a bad one. All right, in terms of the length of it, it's going to be a bad stretch of football where they have lapses and they get distracted in all different phases for whatever reason. And that, that combination, that yin and that yang, um, it, it's been existing all season long. Even think about the Wyoming game, right? They were in a lull early on. Then they just blow out. They have this blowout, uh, you know, basically what fourth quarter, basically, I think it's the entire fourth quarter, I think it's 10, 10 actually, right. Going to the fourth quarter and then boom, Texas blows them out. It's like a 21 point tsunami that overwhelms them uh, in the TCU game. It happened at the end of the second quarter toward the end of the first half tsunami. They just overwhelm. They go, they go thermonuclear on their opponent and, and boom, it looks like Texas is about to blow them out. And they did it against U of H early, but then, you know, the lapse is coming. It's the letdown at one point is coming. And that doesn't mean they're not going to win the game because they're holding it off. My point is now these, those lulls are happening late in the games when early in the season they were happening early and Texas was, was having their best stretch in the fourth quarter. Remember, we were calling them all yeah, fourth quarter team. That's when they show up. Uh, that's what they were doing in the Wyoming game, in the Alabama game. And now late in the season, you're getting them going almost full circle back to 2021. Game planning preparation is amazing. They get the big lead and then they're, they're losing the battle of adjustments in the chess match within the game. And the bad stretch of football for them is happening late and they're just surviving it. And like I said, it's it's only a matter of time, potentially, if they keep on this track where potentially they could get that L. They could get another L from an unexpected opponent just because they're playing to their opponent. They're not playing to a standard. 
I think, yeah. <clears throat> I think that that's definitely a huge factor in it. Is mm-hmm. like uh, in the TCU game, like there's been a lot of arguments about Sark's game management. I thought the game management all made a lot of sense and they just didn't play very well, which sounds lame to some people, but like, sound like a coach. I mean, <laughs> we let a curl route. Yeah. Coach coaches will coaches will do that. Cause they don't want to take, the, they're like, I it's these dumb players. It's not my fault. <laughs> um, but seriously, like a curl route went for like 60 yards and that was a touchdown. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, uh sucker play where the tight end fakes a block and then runs a wheel route. No one picks him up. Yep. Yeah, that's two of their, two of their touchdowns, right? No, nah, there wasn't such time. The, the Jerry yeah. Wiley stalking block, it got him right down like in the five or something like that. They're two of their touchdown drives, right? Yes. Yes. yes okay. Yes. Um, and then the other one had some iffy coverage alignments on the other touchdown too. And then they, uh, and then the freshman returns a kick from like the one yard line, and he gets to about the ten, right? And then they have to punt the ball, and then their punt coverage is bad, and they commit really two personal foul penalties on the sideline and get called for one. Yep. And TCU scores again. Anthony Hill gets a bad coverage drop. So I mean, like, with the new clock rules. I think that they're playing it pretty well and it's only because of dumb errors and lack of focus by Texas that TCU had a chance. We also had like Adonai Mitchell kind of giving up on routes where he didn't even seem to realize they were throwing him the ball. The deep one. Two of them like that. Yeah. Um, Xavier worthy, not knowing who to block on a bubble screen on third and one getting Jonte cook killed. Uh, Ewers narrowly missing Worthy on a third down when he also, if he checked down, he had Wit running wide open underneath at the sticks. Um, oh, I remember that one. Yes, I remember this one. I thought his throw, I thought the throw that he took was there. It looks really bad when you see Wit running wide open, but I actually yeah. thought the might have been there, but it was a bad throw. And it's like, if you're going to hesitate, then just go check down and then you would have found some candy. He easily ran for it, yeah. I think another factor that you, that you kind of got into was uh, and that that success rate chart kind of demonstrates is that Texas is more of an explosive team than a good team. Like all the yeah. problems that people have with Texas, like, oh, they, they're not any good in the red zone. They keep blowing it on third down. Goal line, short yardage. They score in bunches and then they don't score for a long time. It's, mm. well, it's all those things are the same thing is that they're not that great on a down-to-down basis, hmm. but they are so explosive and talented. And when Sark dials up the right play call and Quinn hits it, then you're just oh, cooked. Bro. Yeah. And they're and they and it's going to happen multiple times a game because they're so good at it. Yep. And you and you don't have the guys to match up with all their weapons. Let's just be honest. No, until you get to a, a college football playoff game, nobody in the Big 12 really has that many elite defenders to match up with all the elite weapons Texas has to your yeah, point. Even, about it's only a matter then, of time. Even then, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, right. The Josh Newton, Josh Newton's an NFL player and he, he got cooked out there. They, <laughs> man, they use it to be, and I like Josh. Newton. He's a good player. I mean, him and Butterfly are going to play on Sundays, but they went after him. I thought they'd avoid him. They did not to your point. 
like the opposite of a Greg Davis offense. <laughs> then, um, which was like, I mean, shot plays back then weren't really a thing, but they were Maybe they were uh, they were uh, pretty good at you know their base concepts. And then uh, and then the other thing is that they substitute a lot on defense. Like TCU got a lot of mileage when Jade Barron came out of the game. Yeah, he got hurt. They could, they could flex Wiley out and throw bubble screens on first down against Gilbo and pick up three to six yards. Texas starts having the linebackers edge out of the box to account for it. Now all of a sudden, Amani Bailey is running for four yards a pop. And they just started avoiding the third and longs where Texas had been killing them earlier in the game. Yeah. That's good. So I mean, there's a lot of things that went into that game, not being a blowout. And then ultimately when they had to win, they went, they, they flipped back into, you know, yeah. Making big plays. Like you said, explosive plays. When they went to win the game, they literally went to an explosive play to your point about, I don't know how you know great they are all around, but Hey man, when it comes time to, to dial up the right one. If you want to be good at something, explosive plays. Hey, Bill Walsh said said it was the most important stat of all stats is explosive play margin. So if you can, if you can win that, you probably gonna win the game. That's one of his big stats. But let me ask you this, getting back to your point about Sark and you know, the, you know, what, what's happening in the second half, right? Whether he's getting too conservative, I'll admit Half of the fans, right? I do a radio show, so I get a chance to interact with fans on text lines. And every time I go out, fans uh, talk to me about Texas football, and I want to hear their opinions, right? I love the unofficial surveys. I would say half and half. Half the fans think he's too conservative, and he's 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 turtling up, if you will, in the second half, all right? And they want him to be more aggressive in the second half and do what you did to got the, to get the big lead. And honestly, the other half that, I, that people that I talk to, they think he's too aggressive in the second half, taking shots downfield, throwing unnecessarily. So you, you stop the clock instead of keep the clock running. And they want him to be a little bit more run heavy and choke the clock and be conservative. It's very weird. It's, I don't know, you know, it, are you getting the same kind of uh, response from folks? It seems like the fans are split 50 50 on it. And to me, that almost may seem like Sark is walking the right line because he does do both. Sometimes he is too conservative, and sometimes he's taking shots on first down. And you're like, well, you got a 20-point lead, you're just taking shots on first down. But those shots on first down, on run heavy downs, that is part of what gets you those big leads because when they hit, like you said, when they dialed up, boom, that's money for Sark. So I, I, it's interesting. I It's hard for me to say he's too conservative or he's too – you know, obviously you know, too aggressive in the second half. I just think his feel of the game is off at times. And feel of the game is what the moment and situation calls for because every situation is different. And I think sometimes he just misreads the room a little bit about, because I don't know, maybe he's still still learning on the job as a play caller slash head coach. But I do think at times he kind of misreads the situation. And maybe that's what fans are feeling and why they're split. Hmm. Well, they. Do you um, think he's too conservative or too aggressive? Which one are you? Which camp are you in? Neither. See, (laughs) you know the the easiest way to solve this problem is to score thirty, forty points. 
Agreed. Like, 36 to 6 is a lot different than 26 to 6, right? Yeah, it feels different. You're right. The reason that they are not up to 36 to 6 is because of the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I this is going to seem kind of unfair. You can kind of boil up, boil down the philosophy of the offense this season with who they play at left guard. Because wow. Hayden Carter is a good pass protector. Pass a very good pass protector. He might play tackle before he's done at Texas. We'll see. Um, he's not a very strong run blocker. And he just does not finish blocks or get consistent movement. He'll usually hit a guy, then the right guy. And then the guy will get off the block. And it's like that better hit fast because Connor's not going to finish that block. He's just not very physical, basically. Yeah. But he's really good at helping Texas execute their their shot plays. Um, when they've got an opponent spread out in between the 20s, and you're just like, hey, if, my, if our offensive line can just hit somebody, Brooks is going to make something magic happen because he's got a lot of space to work in. Connor's great at that. When you got to impose your will and make something happen, not so good. And that yeah. kind of defines the whole offense, right? I agree with um, that. That's a good point. And uh, you don't have a guy that can do both, so it almost well, handcuffs you. Yeah, maybe they maybe they would if Cole Hudson was healthy this year. I don't know, but mm. um, maybe they maybe they will next year. But we probably need to next year. But um, I I guess I think Sark should probably lean into the aggression for as long as it's prudent in a game because you got to just keep scoring. Like this is yeah. your offense is that's what your offense is best at is trying to get mm-hmm. explosive plays. So I think I would, I would go for that as long as I could, but then he's absolutely right. Like when um, against TCU, he had that five minute field goal drive where they just ran the ball every snap. Yeah. That was awesome. And when it happened, they had to settle for a field goal, of course. But that made the score like 29-13, right? And then it was 7-9, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, so then TCU was going to have to either score three times or score two touchdowns and make two two-point conversions. And so it was like, yeah, yeah. that field goal just won the game. And then it, it almost it didn't, but uh, – because TCU scored so fast. And that's a problem, too, Ian, how quickly these teams are scoring against Texas. If the defense actually would force teams to have to, you know, and I know they're getting short fields at times, and that's on Texas turning over the football, and that's not a good thing either. Um, but Because that happened a lot, obviously, in that um, K-State game. But, man, teams are scoring re- really fast against the Texas defense. I'm talking about under three-minute drives. How about and- this? How about this? Fourth quarter? Just play Jaron Thompson and Michael Taff. Or Catalan if he's healthy. I don't know what's up with him. Because sometimes this stuff comes down to young mistakes. And I almost, yeah. I, it's like maybe just make somebody beat you. And not, because they they gave away some stuff with, uh, with some, some, mistakes by backup safeties in this game. Yeah. 
Well, against Savion Williams too, man. That dude's a grown man out there. Uh, against <laughs> he really did against against Texas, man. He showed out, showed his Sunday skill set. Um, but no, it's a good point. The rotations are a problem on defense. That's a big issue. We'll get into it a little bit too because I want to talk uh, about that. When we get into the Iowa State breakdown. Matter of fact, let's transition because I think it's a a nice way to transition. Let's talk about Jonathan Brooks's injury, and then what that's going to mean for Texas. Obviously, he's been. Man, you could argue the MVP for the offense. Doak Walker, finalist, you know, no, no question he was on his way to being that. Hell, he might have been a Doak Walker uh, front runner to win the award. Schematically, how do you adjust to losing, I don't know, your most versatile weapon and potentially your offensive MVP? What do you do? So he had 187 carries. For 1,139 yards this year, 6.1 yards per carry, 10 rushing touchdowns, 25 catches for 286 receiving yards. Wow. Somehow only one receiving touchdown, which I think was the first game of the year. He, he dropped like two of them, though, remember, early on? He did, yeah. though. <laughs> was, this the game, was this the game where he got tacked? Yeah, this game he had that 73-yard or two. And he, he got one. Like two or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, he's he was – Probably the bell cow, right? Yeah. Partly because Mitchell and Sanders and, and Worthy spread out so many of the targets. But what do you do without him? Uh, I th- I think this week you throw the ball like 40 times. Mm-hmm. You, were, uh, you, you were close last week, right? You threw it a lot last week, more than I – it was more – I remember it's more than we realized – when we were on the halftime of the uh, the they got a lot of plays, they got a lot of plays because of the tempo. Yeah, it seemed it, it was more passes than I than I thought at halftime. I was like, dang, that's like. Remember in the second half, we didn't see as many, which right. is also something that we got to talk about because um, Sark implied that he ran the ball a lot, as you mentioned in the second half on that field goal drive because he wanted to take pressure off the defense. Essentially, he wanted to, to, to he wanted, he basically didn't want to expose the defense anymore. Um, but some people believe it was, it may have been because Quinn looked a little, uh, he looked a little gimpy at times and maybe he looked like the injury, uh, not a re-injury, but maybe it was a pain tolerance issue or maybe it just wasn't strong enough at the time. Um, that could, that's a theory that's out there as well, that maybe that's why Sark decided to run the rock. I no, I don't really buy that. I mean, they had like, um, Let's see here, 21 and 20. They ran like 45 plays in the first half. Yeah. In the second half, they ran um, 29. Yeah, because TCU had that long drive in the third, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, just, okay. yeah, it's, you're right. just, it's just fewer plays, I think, is the main thing. Um, they, they still took shots in the second half. They, they, still did. The ball, they still didn't have the ball very much. I mean, they're playing for a Big 12 championship, a playoff berth. If Quinn's like, if you see Quinn and he looks uncomfortable and you're just like, suck it up, dude. We got to win a championship. <laughs> yeah, you only got like four or five more games left if we if we do it right. So I you're think, good. Max. Yeah, I think Sark was like, you're just going to do whatever he thought they needed to do to win. I don't think he was trying to baby Quinn or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I thought the way Quinn was throwing, I thought there was no need to panic and stop throwing, right? Yeah, no, he started. He started a little, 
little shaky, a little inconsistent, but he found his groove. Once he found his rhythm, after the pick, strangely enough, he found his rhythm and groove after that. Injured Quinn can still push it further down the field than Dylan Gabriel, so I, I don't think that's <laughs> right. um, what? Um, Okay, so let's so, let, yeah, – what, what do you think you're going to do Sark, so about, uh, about Jonathan Brooks being out? Scott? You think you're just going to throw it, – it's matchup-wise, you say throw it 40 times, be pass hit versus Iowa State. Yeah. Okay. So Sark had a quote on Monday where he was like, we may run 50 to 55 plays because Iowa State is so ball control on their own offense and they don't want you to have the ball unless they change it up this week. Like everyone else does when they play Texas, but I, I don't know that. They will. I don't know that they will because I think they may try to Wyoming this game. They might try to Wyoming it, but I wouldn't doubt if they will pass more in this matchup against Texas. Cause that's where the weakness is against the Texas defense, but still be a ball control offense, basically about converting. They convert, they hold the ball. They convert, they hold the ball. But I think the way you convert if you're Iowa State against Texas is probably via the pass. I don't know if you're going to be just running for – but TCU ran it on Texas a little bit in the second half. Give them credit for that. But um, I think Texas was playing a lot of too, like too high in the second half because they thought, hey, we got the lead. Let's, you can't give up the big play. Uh, they were a little afraid of what, you know, Savion Williams was capable of, which that's a smart move. Um, and I think – that's why they didn't play aggressive defense in the second half. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I think going back to my – and we can get to Iowa State here a little bit too because going back to my initial um, rewatch of last year's games, basically what I went and did. I went and rewatched last year's games. I thought to myself, well, I know they got a new offensive coordinator there than they had last year, but Matt Campbell's an offensive guy, and I thought to myself, they may still come with the same – a similar game plan against Texas – even though Hunter Decker is a different quarterback and you got different personnel, you don't have Xavier Hutchinson, but they do have two receivers that I think are pretty capable and pretty competent in Jalen Noel and Jaden Higgins. They're, they're decent receivers, but I'm sure you remember this in the bunch formations Iowa State used aggressively and excessively against Texas in 2022. It was on a rewatch. It stood out even more. I went and got my notes and it was crazy. So, when they targeted any player out of bunch formation, all right, in that Iowa State game last season, I have them with an 80% completion percentage. But here's the here's the thing that's real that really stands out. Third downs. Remember in that game, they were nine of 15 on third down. They were they, they were seven, uh, if you go look at seven of ten on third longs in that game. And most of their third longs were when they were targeting bunch formations. They were they were 60% conversion rate on third downs targeting bunch formations. All right, and if you look at the third and longs, five of those were third and longs, third and seven-plus yards to gain. This is last season. Also, Iowa State, tons of inside breaking routes, um, slants, drags, crossing routes, overs, unders, posts, skinny posts, glances, you name it, right, angle routes. They ran a ton of them inside breaking routes. And I have Hunter Deckers completing close to 90% of his passes targeting any inside breaking route against Texas in that game. And third down, third downs, four or five on third downs, and a 100% conversion rate on third longs targeting inside breaking routes last season. That's where Hunter Deckers hurt him. And if you look at it this, this year, Texas has struggled 
defending, as we've talked about multiple times, bunch formations. The last four games, teams' uh, yards per attempt are averaging almost 12 yards per attempt, targeting bunch formations and targeting inside breaking routes in the last four games. Explosive play rates close to 30%. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And TCU... They were at 80% completion rate, targeting inside breaking routes, and their targets to bunch formation, uh, they were over 80% completion rate. Matt Campbell, he, he's going to bring back the old game plan from 2022, and if he's watching film from 2023, they're going to use it. Now, they don't have the twitchy, explosive athletes on the outside like U of H did or even like a TCU and a Savion Williams, but they have capable, competent receivers. They have two of them. And all they need is the two of them. They, hey, that's, it can form you a bunch right there. All right? You throw one more in there, and you can get a trips. They're going to use it. And if Texas can't defend it, they're going to see it early, and they're going to see it often. They'll also um, they play a lot of two tight end. Mm-hmm. And they'll motion the tight ends around to create matchups in the slot for the receivers. It's been kind of one of their mainstays for the last few years, really. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah, in this game, I want to see – I want to see Jaron Thompson and Michael Taff together. Don't worry about subbing in the young guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also you may not have to defend that many snaps, especially if you defend well, right? If you defend well, I like that. It's a good point. Man coverage, some is maybe not a bad idea, but they're – I, actually, I would probably just play a lot of just the match quarters in this game. You think that's the best way to go? Yeah, because they'll run man beaters all day, like bunch. Yes, they'll, they'll run they rough. They'll run all kinds of stuff. Yep. They're not going to try to. They know that they can't. They know that their guys can't win one on ones against Texas's athletes. Their whole offense is built around accommodating that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would play a lot of, this will drive Texas fans nuts maybe, but I would play a lot of like just base defense, make sure you know how to match all their stuff. And, uh, if they can get them in third down, they can really get after this line. Did you notice last week they ditched Blackwell and they played Burke in the Anthony Hill role. And they just kept Anthony Hill at weak side linebacker. And uh, it was pretty nasty. Yeah. No, they you have, can tell, they're, they're tweaking some stuff. You can tell. Burke and Hill on the field at the same time is uh, effective. 
Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would just – if they can get to third down, they can really get after this team. I would want to make them earn it and uh, plan on, you know, like you said, like a, a gazillion – they're going to try to dink and dunk you and just get receivers open on rubs, on drags and slants and quick outs and all kinds of stuff. They really shouldn't be able to score that many points on Texas. They shouldn't. I agree. Um, but it just worries me because K-State, remember we talked about this, K-State was a bad matchup for Texas in terms of the K-State perspective because K-State's a run first team and Texas has an elite rush defense, right? It's one of the better rush defense in the country. Um, and Texas is great situationally. Third down, red zone defense, they're top five, they're two. Um, so they matched up well, but when K-State decided, all right, you know what, we got to abandon the damn run because it's that's a fool's errand against Texas. We got to throw it. They had some success. And so I know Iowa State, I mean, you go look at them. I mean, you go look at them off offensively. 94th in total offense, 98th in rushing uh, yards per game, 78th in passing yards per game. They're 77th in points per game scoring. But they, they're they trending toward being better, right? They're, they're better in October. Like, look at their quarterback, Rocco Bett. In the month of November, he is completing 71% of his passes. He was at 60% um, in October and in September. Um, he's at 8.6 yards per attempt now. He was at 7.1 in September. He's got six touchdowns, one interception in October and November combined. He was at nine touchdowns, five interceptions. The offense is trending toward being better. Their, their, their running back room is not impressive, but they got this kid, Abu Sama the third. Have you saw him? You, okay, you know then. <laughs> they, they, they've just started to, like, give him the football. Football. Man, he's special, ain't he? Yeah. So they, they're going to give him I, – I think in this game, if I'm Matt Campbell, I showcase that young kid versus Texas. I, I see what he can do. Because none of your other running backs have a shot versus Texas, really. Did you see the comment by their left guard? Jared yes, Huffman. yes. You want to get into it? We can get into it. There's one part that really stood out to me. Go ahead. Was, Texas, and he was like, I don't know, since I got here, it's been Iowa and it's been Texas. <laughs> okay? And oh, yeah. Huff, let's see here. Oh, yeah. The funny he said, thing oh, is, he, say, he said it's been Iowa and, he's been Iowa and Texas. Basically, he's implying that their rival, their in-state rival, which is Iowa, that they they when they get there, they indoctrinate them as hey man, you gotta beat Iowa and you also gotta beat Texas. It's like, well, oh, what no now when do you think he arrived at Iowa State? That's a great I did not look that up. When is that? 2019. Okay. Yeah. I mean so what, been, what stands out to you about that? They had success since then. What is that? Not Oklahoma. Texas. Oh. Iowa and Texas. Now, why is that? Now they they've played a lot of big games and they've played. That's a they, great point. They played pretty well against Oklahoma, honestly. So maybe he just misspoke, or like you know he would have said Oklahoma too. But I kind of think that that's a Matt Campbell thing, and that that's a he wants the Texas game every year to be his statement of look what I can do. Versus big time program. Scrappy three stars versus the glamour program. And he picked Texas over Oklahoma. 
for that. Maybe, maybe because it gets more attention, or maybe because Texas is a softer target. I <laughs> pick your choose, choose your truth. Yeah, actually, you're right about that because right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this year it, it, that's not the case, but previous years, yeah, the latter actually probably does apply. That hey, we can pick on Texas, don't be picking on Oklahoma, but you, you're right, they perform well versus Oklahoma too, and he. He also went on to say, I mean, I won't read the entire quote, but he basically went on to imply that the Texas defensive tackle room may not be the best he's played so far. He that that's coming with that part of the comment was by the reporter, but it was not on the actual video that was released. But he also went on to say not also that Texas acts like their ish don't stink. And um, they'd be put in their place. These are all things he said. Um, but he also said that D tackle room may not be the most, it, it may not be the most impressive that he's seen so far this season. Wow. Wow. I, I, I'm almost thinking now, Ian, there's something diabolical here. There's got to be a plan. I feel like Matt Campbell put him up to this now. Now I'm on a grassy note. I feel like Matt Campbell put him up to this. This, this is there's some psychological ploy at play here, man. It's got to be what well, they want. They want Texas to come in amped up, maybe a little too aggressive, overhyped, too hype, making mental errors, making dumb mistakes. I have no idea why this young man would make that comment. Maybe he believes he's he's just as good as those guys. And he's like the NFL scouts gonna be watching them, and then they'll see me and I'll perform well versus them. And I'm going to the league. I have no idea what the motive is, but I'm just thinking what it could be. I, I think the PSYOP is on his own players. I think he wants his own players puffed up and fired up and ready to go die and not spending the week thinking about how good know, Texas is. What, what does the inside of Tavondre Sweat's belly look like? And <laughs> how am I going to get under Byron Murphy and keep from getting, you know, shoved into my quarterback? He wants them. But the what's that uh Brian Billick? He was like, if you're gonna kill a lion, you don't tiptoe into the cave. You come in running and screaming with a spear and say, Where is the son of a you know? Yeah, no, you're right. It's good. I, point. I think that's I if I had to guess if there's some kind of game being played here, it's Campbell getting his own guys frothing up for uh a big senior night and not like afraid of a whooping. I like that. Because you know why that makes sense? Because I, I said to my I, the comment I made was this sounds like when you hear somebody's you know somebody's kids make a comment that's inappropriate or off putting. Maybe they made a comment about politics or something, some some societal issue, and you're like, man, how did this uh, nine year old kid make a comment like that? That's definitely not him. That's got to be his parents. He's overhearing what his parents are saying. That's what I thought about here. I was like, Huffer, he, that's something he heard Matt Campbell say in the meetings, your, to your point. And maybe it wasn't supposed to get out. And he just decided, no, I'm taking that message out. To the, I'm taking that message out there. And maybe this is supposed to be an in-house message, part of how he's uh, you know, programming the team for this week. And then this young, this young man just kind of said, this, said the quiet part out loud. Well, but right? now, the, now the ships are burned. So there's no going back. Exactly. So, so yeah, like, you're right. Fool's you, may have, you may have wanted him to say it publicly. Maybe hey, like Jared, come here. I know. That's kind of what I'm saying. So I'm like, this is so out of character. It's so out of character for an Iowa State team. Talking trash before the game, after the game, we remember Brees Hall, five-star culture versus five-star players. Remember all that. But man, before the game, trash talk for Iowa State. Wow. 
That's next level. Good for you, Iowa State. Good for you getting into it. Um, all right, let's. Yes, um, it's also <laughs> like I know Texas fans are excited because they're like, "Good, now our team's going to play hard." But it was a. I mean, this is a Big Twelve championship elimination game. Pretty much, and maybe not, but almost. Uh-huh. I think so. Like Texas, you're you're already getting Texas's full attention. You know. And they already got the Bo Davis thing. Like the last time they were here, they seriously, yeah, this was what happened on the other side. Yeah, so the Bo I Davis thing. I don't think Texas is actually going to give it any more attention than they would have. The only thing that is at stake here is maybe Hufford hears it a little worse on the field if and when he gets trashed by Murphy or Sweat or Collins or whoever. Um, can you imagine? But the Bo Davis is going to use this though, part of his motivational pregame speech to the D tackle room. Oh man, he will. <laughs> uh, all right, before we get out of here, I want to uh, ask you a couple more things. Let's talk about the matchup between a Texas offense now without Jonathan Brooks with a, a, a hurt Quinn Ewers versus arguably the most effective form of the three high three down. In the Big 12, John Haycock's three high, three down. I love how you describe how they're all a little bit different. They all have, you know, kind of different unique tendencies uh, to all these different three eyes. Sark has faced his third one in a row. And I kind of actually the, the fifth of the season because Wyoming ran this too. U of H broke it out uh, as a tendency breaker. And now, right, he's had K-State. He's had TCU. So this will be the fifth team? I think so. Running some version of it. Um yeah. Uh, and one of the things I noticed about it, and you noticed this, I think, from even last season, the, the unbalanced formations that Sark is using a lot against these three high three downs. It fits my theory. He's just not doing what I thought he would do. He's probably doing it just to spite me. He's like, I'm not going to do what Bayers thinks I'm going to do. I'm going to do something different. But it, it fits my theory. And my theory is on offense, when you face a three high three down, which is all about disguise and distortion, you want to you want to force that defense to abandon its disguise and distortion and to declare itself, declare its coverage, declare its whatever the front's going to be and, and give the quarterback and the offense better indicators about what coverage and what front they're in. And you do that by being extreme, extreme formations, for uh, empty formation, uh, extreme personnel groupings like the 6-0 line package or heavy personnel sets. Well, Sark is going unbalanced a lot. I counted 37 unbalanced formations in the last two games. Uh, that's a lot of unbalanced. Now I'm sure he's, he's used unbalanced before, but I'm not sure he's used it this much in the, in a two game span. Maybe last year against Iowa state, he used it a lot last year. Okay. Uh, he, that used, makes sense. he used Matthew. If you can give us exhibit one, he used this one a lot last year and he's used it a lot this year. And it's uh, four receivers to the same side of the formation. Yeah. The trick with this is that the off, an offensive formation has to have two guys besides the five offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage. They need seven guys on the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped. Mm-hmm. And um, the first guy from the sideline who's on the line of scrimmage is an eligible receiver. Anyone between him and the center that's on the line of scrimmage is ineligible. So the trick with this formation is that the tight end is ineligible. Yeah, he's covered up. Because he's the second, he's covered up by the 
X. The X is covering up the Y receiver, which is the tight end. So he cannot go down the field. Um, if the tight end goes down the field, it's like if an offensive lineman goes down the field. You get yeah. flagged for ineligible receiver down the field. Um, but the benefit of this is you can see, like, on one of the edges, Iowa State has a corner protecting the edge, mm-hmm. which is not ideal. Texas used this last year against Oklahoma, actually, when Oklahoma played the flyover. Yeah. They had, they had a couple matchups earlier where they had, like, Kelvin Banks on a corner. <laughs> and it was just – Oh, that if I was that corner man, I'd be just I'd be hating life at that time because I know they're gonna run it right at me. Will we be the force player against Kelvin Bates? <laughs> yeah, you you got this, Rod. You, Rod, you're forcing. Um, that's uh, what's I'm trying to remember that Oklahoma guy, Jamal uh, Owens. What was that guy's name? You got it. Don't worry about it, <laughs> Jamal Brown. Oh, okay. You're going to go force on Jamal yeah. Brown. Come on now. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> Pancake City. <laughs> to Rod's point. So, like, the middle safety is Bo Frailer. He's six foot two. He's 200, a good player. 220 pounds. He's a decent player. He's like just a linebacker that plays deep. Yep. A very good one. Yeah. But in this formation, you have him basically playing safety, which he's, he's not a bad safety. But where he really shines in the scheme is when he's playing free in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. He's just talking down like a linebacker and none of your blocking schemes account for him. Yes. And he's just running free and lighting up your running back in the hole for like a two yard game. It's like you're, you think you have the play perfectly blocked up like it is on the chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> the safety has got his, his uh, shoulder pad in the, in the running back's chest. Yeah, two yards past the line of scrimmage, and he's planting him in the ground, and you're like, "Where'd he come from? Where'd he come from? Who screwed this? No one screwed it up." Yeah, uh, that, that's Iowa State is the originator of the scheme. They're the ones that use it to that effect, like no other team. Yeah, um, and it's for them. It's all about playing off. They got all these guys playing back. They have drop eight coverage. It looks like you should just run the ball, and then. The, their safeties are like the middle safety is 220. The boundary safety is 6'4, 225. The linebackers look like Big Ten linebackers. They're like 6'2, 245, 6'2, yeah. 240. Um, the nose is 6'4, 3'30. Mm. The ends are big and strong. Um, so it's like all these run stopping. It's like the opposite of Shanahan, right? Like yeah. Shanahan present power formations and throw the ball. Um, uh, the Iowa State defense is present conservative pass defense. Yeah. <laughs> do it from like power football. Yeah, so, you're right. I like that. Um, so the unbalanced is good. It would be a lot better if Jonathan Brooks were playing. That's real. So I would go to this is your week's rod. They should run empty twenty times this week. Dude. Ugh. Come on, man. Prove me right, Sark. Prove me right. Come on. I'm with you. It should be because then you force all these, like you talk about, you describe these run defenders, then they all got to operate in space and become pass defenders. And either they adjust it. Now, by the way, I like their secondary. Am I crazy? I like their secondary. It is pretty good. It is pretty good. Right? TJ Tampa is a good player. 
And yeah. is it Jeremiah Cooper is the other one? Jeremiah Cooper is good. He's the in this in this diagram, yeah. he's the field safety. Yes. He's basically like a nickel, but he plays off. Yeah. Um, he's he's pretty good. He has, I think he has a bunch of picks this year, too. He's got like four or five he's got, picks. Yeah, he's got five. He leads he, he leads the big 12. Matter of fact, they got 15 interceptions on the year. I mean, yeah. they are, I think, sexual. Yeah, they no, yeah. hey, I admire that, man. Trust me. Um, but no, they 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 they're opportunistic, they make plays on the football. Um, but I'm with you about Texas spreading things out. I like I like that idea. I, I love that idea. But and they'll be able to find favorable matchups. I don't know if I'd be throwing at TJ Tampa a ton, but I don't know if you have to if you spread them out. There'll be matchups elsewhere. Yeah, you can just put Worthy or Mitchell in the slot, put Baxter or Helm or somebody outside. Yep. They also um up until recently, it's always in time for Texas. They figured it out. They have not had any real pass rush this year. But they got this linebacker named Bacon, of course. <laughs> He's a walk-on. He looks exactly like you're picturing. He's like 6'3", 240. And he is a menace on third down. He's like a Mike linebacker. He's like the backup Mike linebacker but he just darts into the backfield and eventually they figure it out. Like, let's just play him as an edge on third down. Mm. He's got like three sacks, I think on the year. Oh yeah. But he's, I mean, picture like a, like a big white, big 10, Anthony Hill. Oh, like he really is. He really is like agile and explosive and powerful. That's a Um, nice description. And raw, a little bit raw still. He's, I think he's pretty young. He's going to end up being, really good before he's done. Uh, same thing happened in 2019 where they had no pass rush all year. And then they were like, let's make this Will McDonald guy just a situational pass rusher on third downs. And then he went on a tear and then he was yeah. eventually was drafted in the first round. Bacon is probably not that, but he is, he is good. And he is. So go empty, try to throw on first and second down, spread them out, make all their big corn dudes, change direction and run in space. Yeah. If Texas can score 30 in this game, I think it's a wrap. I agree with you because uh, – and by the way, if they do get up big on Iowa State, and I know I, we've said this in, probably before, but uh, Iowa State's offense is not built really to come back like that. They're not – that's not how they're constructed. They're built as a ball control offense. That's what they really want to be. Um, so I like what you said about the empty. Let's hope Sark is uh, so so hard, so hope Sark is listening uh, to football theory. Uh, all right, let's go to before we wrap things up. Um, any last thoughts about the Texas defense facing the Iowa State offense? I broke down. Obviously, they need to be much more effective defending inside breaking routes and targets to bunch formations. Um, you may see some empty sets on their part too. A couple of teams have been breaking out empty formations uh, versus Texas recently. Uh, TC did it a few times as well. Other than that, um, what are your thoughts about the Texas defense and that Iowa State offense? I think they may pass the, the football a little bit more uh, than people expect. Yeah. I Like I said before, I'd want to see a lot more Taff and Thompson in this game unless Catalan is good to go. And then Catalan can play. Um, too high. Make him earn it. And, uh, boy, I just think if they can force third downs, they can get after it. Um, Sweat and Murphy is going to be such a big – it's like Kansas State. Like Kansas State got where they are in the Big 12 by being a power run team. 
And then they ran into Texas and Texas knew it was coming and put Sweat Murphy out there and Ford. And it was just nothing, right? For yep. three quarters. I think it'll be very sim- <clears throat> very similar to that. Um, and Iowa State is a little more of a passing team than Kansas State, but they're also maybe not quite as good at it. Like, I don't think Rocco Beck is quite Will Howard yet. No. Uh, I agree with that. Noel is good, but he's not quite as slippery as uh, uh, that water bug, Kansas State guy. Uh, uh, oh, Philip Brooks. Brooks, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He's not him, no doubt. They don't have that guy. Their tight ends are good, but they're not quite Ben Sinat. However, you say that guy's name. Just, <laughs> just respect that guy's a beast. Yeah, he's uh, a good player. So I, I don't know. I Two names, so that's different. But uh, I, I really think Texas – I would be more worried if I thought they were going to come in and run the ball and that they could just get drawn into a slog. Yeah. But the fact that they're going to go in knowing, like, we can't, we can't ask Baxter to go win this game for us makes me think that they have a very good chance to go, to go dominate this game. And just uh, chunk it. Yeah. Unless Quinn's hurt, you know, knock on wood. Knock on wood. They're off. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm not. I don't. I'm with you. I think he's he's hurt. He's not injured. There's a difference. And yeah. he's hurt. He's got to tolerate the pain. Um, and I think I'm with you. You got to make sure that the last, hopefully, four or five games, right? Uh, you're playing some of your best football. Um, all right. Good stuff, Ian. I appreciate you, brother. As always. Yep. All right, folks. Uh, join us for another edition of Football Theory next week. Uh, we'll be talking about hopefully another win for these Texas Longhorns. Hook them.